From KUAR News in Little Rock, this is our Week in Review podcast. Coming up. The contested Ten Commandments monument is put on display at the Arkansas State Capitol, but less than 24 hours later, it was destroyed and by a repeat offender, no less. Governor Hutchinson is calling for changes to the GOP health care bill that, for now, is stalled in the U.S. Senate, but there's silence from Arkansas's two senators. And the U.S. Supreme Court sides with same-sex couples from Arkansas who wanted both spouses' names included on birth certificates. For the week ending Friday, June 30th, 2017, this is KUAR's Week in Review podcast. I'm Michael Hiblin. I'm Chris Hickey. I'm Jacob Kaufman. And for Arkansas Public Media, I'm Bobby Anthazon. That's just ahead. Well, a big news week for us. On Tuesday, no surprise that the uh, Ten Commandments monument, after a couple of years had passed since legislation enabled it to be placed at the state capitol, appeared. And uh, less than 24 hours later, this is what happened. Oh my goodness. Freedom! That was a uh, Facebook Live video from the uh, suspect 32-year-old Michael Tate Reed, who uh, has been charged, uh, accused of intentionally driving his vehicle into the monument, effectively destroying it. And uh, I was out later in the morning while they were still picking up the pieces, and uh, there was a sense of shock there uh, about what happened. But Jacob, I guess let's uh, first just back up to Tuesday uh, when this uh, monument appeared without uh, fanfare uh, there on the uh, Capitol grounds. Yeah, uh, there wasn't too much show of it. The Secretary of State's office didn't hold like a formal opening ceremony like I believe they did for the firefighters memorial two or three years ago. But anyway, uh, Senator Rapert and others were there. And uh, here's actually a part of a Facebook message distributed by the Senate Information Office of Senator Rapert, uh, confident that uh, this Ten Commandments monument would stand for a long time. This monument actually is an exact replica of the uh, Ten Commandments monument that you've seen and heard about uh, in the state of Texas at their Capitol grounds. So uh, there's been debate the whole time of is this the government endorsing or giving some sort of preference or deference to one particular religion or two religions over a non-religion. Here's Rita Sklar, the director of the ACLU of Arkansas. Uh, This is the basic argument against it. The senator says that this is erected at no cost to Arkansas taxpayers, but the cost is to our constitutional rights, our right to religious liberty, which is protected when the government does not side with one religion over another or with any religion over non-religion. And Sklar says that those arguments that there's one in Texas already and that there's uh, some vague-looking inscription in the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C., she says those don't really stand. Most notably, Oklahoma's state Supreme Court took down a uh, Ten Commandments monument erected in 2012. They took it down in 2015. Uh, I guess this is either after uh, this same guy had already Yeah, the ruling actually came down. Yeah, the same person accused in the Arkansas case apparently drove into the monument Mm -hmm. there in Oklahoma. And after that, the ruling came down that uh, it shouldn't have been there. Well, uh, just before dawn on Wednesday morning at about uh, quarter to five, the suspect, then police say, uh, intentionally drove his vehicle into the monument. 
And uh, Michael Tate Reed of Van Buren, as I said, also accused of doing the same thing to Oklahoma's Ten Commandments monument. He apparently uh, recorded videos uh, or was live on Facebook, and uh, this was a a statement posted to his uh, account. I'm a firm believer that part of salvation is that we not only have faith in Jesus Christ, but we obey the commands of God and um, that we confess Jesus as Lord. But one thing I do not support is the violation of our constitutional right to have the freedom that's guaranteed us, um, that guarantees us the separation of church and state, because no one religion should, um, should the government represent. And then a short time later, this is how the uh, Secretary of State's office spokesman, Chris Powell, described what happened. A guy drove onto the Capitol grounds and uh, uh, intentionally drove his car into the Ten Commandments monument uh, and destroyed it. Uh, We had a Capitol Police officer on patrol uh, at the time uh, who witnessed it and uh, uh, arrested him, uh, and he has been uh, taken to the Pulaski County Jail and charged. Do you know, did he say anything to uh, the arresting officer? Uh, I don't know what uh, conversation they had, uh, but uh, it's my understanding he was cooperative. And uh, bond is set at uh, $100,000 for the suspect. Uh, Michael Tate Reed made his uh, first court appearance Thursday morning via video feed from the Pulaski County Jail and is uh, said to have made several outbursts during that, uh, told the judge, he didn't need his uh, public defender. Uh, that public defender, Peggy Egan, told the judge that uh, Reed may have uh, mental health concerns. And Chris, the, the more we learned uh, about the case, that uh, he does indeed have uh, some issues that officials have brought up in the past. Yeah, as we mentioned, you know, he had done a similar thing to the Oklahoma Ten Commandments monument back in a couple of years ago. And after that incident, uh, there was an agreement made. He was—he never get, was given jail time or prison time for that. There was an agreement with the prosecutor there uh, and his family that he would be hospitalized for a period of time, and then also after his release, continue to seek treatment. Um, the Tulsa World, the newspaper in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, did a very good job of kind of documenting Reed's uh, struggles with mental illness. Um, they have talked to his family members, um, interviewed him, or they received a letter from him, which a columnist kind of compiled and uh, commented on, uh, where he describes um, having gone to Tulsa uh, to attend Bible college and, and during that time becoming sort of deeply depressed and getting into these psychotic states where he'd hear and see visions and hear voices. Um, uh, and a lot of them were in a very religious nature, as you heard in that clip you played earlier. He you know, mentions Jesus and God, and he obviously has a, a, a sort of religious foundation, but it's uh, apparently taken to an extreme. Even in his court appearance uh, the day after this event uh, here this week, you know, when he was interrupting the judge and, and his um, public defender, he was um, saying things, you know, like God and Lord. And so, you know, it's obvious that, he, you know, he has a uh, sort of issues with, with mental illness. I think the Tulsa World uh, said he had been diagnosed with schizoaffective disorder. So 
you know, obviously that that's an issue in the press conference that State Senator Jason Rapert, who sponsored the bill to uh, erect this uh, Ten Commandments monument on Capitol grounds, held after the uh, incident on Wednesday, uh, he seemed to make a link between Reed's action or the suspect's action and um, kind of divisive political rhetoric in the country. And he, he sort of uh, laid blame, I guess, uh, in, in some ways uh, at, you know, at groups that um, don't see in the same way that he does, uh, you know, the, I guess the legacy of the Ten Commandments and in influencing, um, you know, American political thought or whatever. At least that's, you know, his line. And, and Rapert was acknowledging of Reed's mental health issues, but at the same time, he seemed to really advocate for this other side, which was that Reed's action was was mainly um, influenced by divisive political rhetoric. And uh, but I, I think it's clear that you know, as we've seen, kind of the documentation, the documented instances where Reed has struggled with mental illness, that that was probably one of the primary things at play. Yeah, and uh, it should be noted that a rebuild effort is underway. They plan to build it again. The ACLU is ready to file a lawsuit over this. And uh, if it wasn't clear er earlier, um, Jason Rapert, who is obviously one of the most religious members of the state legislature, says that the reason why they're doing this and why it's not a constitutional violation is because it's all about the role of the Ten Commandments in setting up American uh, law, not that it's a recognition of religion. Of course, ACLU say that's not true. You can just point to a commandment like, thou shalt have no other God, and see that there's not a basis in that in American law. Yeah, well, I caught up with uh, uh, Jason Rapert right after uh, this incident uh, uh, happened, and uh, here was uh, his reaction to me. Obviously disappointed uh, that someone would carry out a premeditated act of violence uh, against the people of the state of Arkansas. You have to under understand there are many issues that we deal with in the state, and many of those issues people disagree with. Uh, I'm not going to rest to live in a society in which people carry out acts of violence against other people. Uh, you, my biggest concern is what's going on in people's hearts, the root of hatred that would cause them to destroy other property. You could spread this out to any number of things. It's the same kind of hatred that causes people to burn down a church. And Chris, as you said, also compared it to the political divisiveness, said this is uh, about the same as the suspect uh, charged with uh, going out there and uh, uh, shooting at members of Congress uh, during a, a baseball practice uh, in suburban Washington. I think it's worth noting, though, that he said that, you know, Senator Rapert's referred to it continuously as an act of violence against the people of Arkansas. No people were attacked in any way. This is not an act of violence against people. It's a, it's property damage. So yeah, and groups like the ACLU came out to condemn the action. You know, in in terms of you know they obviously have advocated for the removal of the monument, but by legal means. And you know the American I think Free Thinkers Society or um, Freedom, Freedom from, from Religion, Religion Foundation. Foundation also released a statement um, along similar lines. And um, I also just want to say, uh, Rapert's um, he had been working with this group called the American History and Heritage Foundation, which was the private foundation mm -hmm. um, that had taken uh, money from uh, people in the state and, and elsewhere to erect the monument. They say that they've already ordered a new one, uh, although I think funds still need to be raised in order for that to 
go up. Yeah, I think I saw a tweet last night saying they're about 50% of the way toward uh, their goal in raising money for this. But, uh, yes, said that one is already uh, on the way and are adamant that it will be replaced. Well, on to uh, health care. Uh, Jacob, the governor, said on Thursday that uh, the plan, as uh, it's crafted at this point in the Senate and uh, has stalled, uh, essentially, if it were to uh, pass as uh, written right now, would be very bad for Arkansas. Yeah, the governor, the way he phrased all this, was very careful to say that he has uh, that our two senators, Tom Cotton and John Bozeman, are doing a great job. He said the Senate bill is moving in the right way. There's many things he does like about it, including uh, getting rid of the individual mandate, getting rid of some regulations on the insurance uh, for insurance companies, commercial insurance industry, and he likes that the state gets some more power to to shape things. But overall, the message just had to be that uh, the existing bill is going to cause a big headache for Arkansas, both in terms of the budget, hospitals, and, of course, the hundreds of thousands of people that might lose insurance. Here's the governor, though, speaking to reporters. Uh, he basically said there's a big reduction in the amount of federal Medicaid dollars coming to the state, so something would have to change. The state has got difficult choices to face. It either has to reduce the expanded Medicaid coverage or we have to cut costs in the traditional Medicaid program, and that includes children, elderly, and people with disabilities, or it could be a combination of cuts to both, or we can increase taxes. Now, with the legislators standing here looking over my shoulder, I want to assure them we are not raising taxes, so the result is that the Medicaid coverage will be reduced if the current Senate version was adopted. Uh, here's a little bit more from the governor, but basically he has four main changes he believes in that could help uh, make this bill workable. There has to be significant changes in the current draft in order to give the states like Arkansas options for our future that we can continue the coverage and not have a $500 million per year gap in our economy. Um, I won't get too bogged down in the changes here, but real briefly, and one of them would put medically frail populations like the blind, aged, and disabled, uh, take them out of the per-person caps that the Senate Republicans want to establish, which per-person caps mean you have a certain amount of money per people to spend, basically. And since these people are so expensive, that push a lot of the burden onto states to pick up the rest of the tab. He wants to put the Medicaid expansion program into a block grant that would allow the state to potentially reduce some of the services that have a lump sum of money to use for that expanded population instead of having the expansion end, which is what the Senate bill would, would do right now. He wants to increase insurance subsidies in the marketplace so that if you're pushed off of Medicaid expansion or something like that, you might have a little bit more support in buying the private insurance plan. And the fourth main change is he wants the states to have greater power within Medicaid to do various cost reform initiatives. And what it, what a reform is is a controversial term. One of the uh, authors of the Senate bill, though, is uh, Arkansas's junior U.S. Senator Tom Cotton. Uh, not really very visible, not talking with the press or taking uh, much question or a stand on this right now. Yeah, both Senator Tom Cotton and John Bozeman are refusing to state what their position is on this bill. As you mentioned, Tom Cotton was one of 13 Republican senators that helped write it, but even in the fact even though he was one of the authors of it, he won't come out and outright say he supports the current plan. The governor said he's been communicating these concerns to the senators. 
Obviously, it matters a little bit more when the state senator is one of the 13 drafting the bill. Maybe it actually matters that he's conveying these, these to our senators, unlike some uh, some other issues. But he, uh, the governor isn't saying whether or not Tom Cotton supports any of those things. Uh, Cotton's office has only said that they have indeed conveyed them. He's not saying whether or not he even championed them to Mitch McConnell. So uh, the state senators are being totally uh, quiet on all of this. And a poll came out uh, this week, uh, an NPR PBS NewsHour poll that showed the uh, approval rating for the Senate proposal uh, in the teens. So I assume for a lot of politicians not knowing what's going to happen with this, they don't want to get too attached to it, uh, kind of afraid of touching the third rail. Yeah, I saw Senator Cotton in some national publication recently, maybe it was Politico or the Wall Street Journal, where he was uh, rumored have been said to other senators basically that they're being weak, that they're not doing what their constituents elected them to do because they're afraid of the poll numbers on it. But ending Obamacare, kicking people off of Medicaid who aren't making enough money to buy their insurance is a goal uh, or has been a goal of Senator Cotton's office anyway. But other groups like the Arkansas Hospital Association, Arkansas Advocates for Children and Families, they've all come out saying that this would be devastating to children and families and to rural hospitals and the like. And Arkansas was one of the states uh, that saw the biggest gain from uh, the federal law passed uh, by the Obama administration. Yeah, the first two years of it, uh, us and Kentucky were the top two states in reducing the amount of uninsured. I can't remember. I think we dropped from like, I don't remember anymore, 20 to 10 or 12 to 6, some kind of pretty big jump. But we're definitely one of the worst states beforehand for the number of uninsured as well. So Mitch McConnell just uh, uh, at this point said uh, we'll take it up after uh, the break for the 4th of July. Any indication what's next? No, I mean, I guess the governor hopes that his ideas happen. Uh, There's a number of Republican senators holding out on this. We'll see if there are changes made that will appeal to them. It seems like definitely in public, Senator Cotton and John Bozeman are not advocating any changes at all to this. So that's what we do get to know is that they're not out in public saying they want this bill changed at all. A big decision from the U.S. Supreme Court on Monday. Bobby, you uh, spoke with uh, several people involved in this. This involved a a case where a same-sex couple from Arkansas filed a lawsuit concerning the spouses of a same-sex couple having both included on a birth certificate for a child born through in vitro fertilization. First, tell me about the the decision from the high court. Yeah, this came down on Monday, the very last day of the court's uh, spring-winter term, Uh, and it was a 6-3 decision. Let me just begin by saying I think this was a decision that that maybe even didn't get as much media attention as it it should have or could have, even though it was a a national story. NPR covered it a little bit. Uh, It was in the New York Times. Uh, Several couples in Arkansas filed a petition to the Supreme Court after the Arkansas Supreme Court in a 7-2 decision, an overwhelmingly supportive uh, decision of the state's traditional way of listing parents on a birth certificate, which is to list the birth mother, and then if it's a heterosexual, heterosexual married couple, to list the father without any proof that the father actually is the biological father of the child. When same-sex marriage was legalized nationwide in 2015, the state continued to deny lesbian couples uh, a a place for both of their names on birth certificates. So 
It went to the state Supreme Court. The state Supreme Court upheld that uh, traditional practice. On Monday, the U.S. Supreme Court, by a vote of six to three, struck it down. In uh, the six-member majority included the liberal bloc, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, uh, Stephen Breyer, Elena Kagan, Sonia Sotomayor. They were joined by swing voter Anthony Kennedy and the chief justice, Robert, uh, John, Roberts. John Roberts. Excuse me. In dissent were uh, the three justices, including Donald Trump's pick for the bench, Neil Gorsuch. Let me begin by saying the majority basically said there, there, there's really no valid reason except to discriminate, to deny uh, these couples uh, th- their place on their child's birth certificate. The dissenters said, in effect, that may be true, but the way that the case was handled, that is a decision by curi- uh, per curium order, which is a... Um, a, a less kind of debated decision that the court can can take. It's it's a decision essentially where they they take up the matter, but they say you know this is a pretty clear cut case, and so by order we we decide thusly. Uh, Neil Gorsuch said uh, this should have been probably uh, decided in the traditional way that the, that SCOTUS decides these cases. He also said something that the state of Arkansas, a point the state of Arkansas had made, which was that. The birth certificate should represent the biological lineage or the genetics of the child, uh, which kind of makes sense maybe medically and in terms of states' departments of health, except that, of course, Arkansas hadn't really been doing this with birth certificates, and birth certificates are used for a much wider range of reasons than simply uh, a child's, uh, again, genetic uh, connection to human beings. So uh, I spoke with a couple of sets of parents, uh, Marissa and Tara Pavan, as well as Jana and Lee Jacobs, again, both lesbian couples who had children in 2015, just before, or actually on the very day of the Supreme Court of Obergefell uh, v. Hodges decision that legalized same-sex marriage. Let's listen to Marissa Pavan uh, talking about how, you know, in, in, in years past, maybe lesbian couples have had to, you know, one one is the mom and the other one is kind of a stepmom. She said that that was never uh, something her and her wife considered. They're both the mother, mothers of their, their child. I didn't want to be, I could have just been okay with a step-parent adoption. And I love step-parents, I have step-parents. I think that they're wonderful people, I, but I am not a step-parent. I didn't go into this, you know, being a step-parent, I wanted to be the, the only other parent other than Tara. And a lot of time has uh, passed. I was at the uh, county health department when uh, she and her spouse uh, got their names added to the birth certificate in December of 2015. That after a Pulaski County judge issued a written decision affirming an earlier ruling that said same-sex couples were entitled to have their name on the birth certificates. But looking at uh, your photo, Bobby, uh, and looking back at mine from uh, almost two years ago, uh, you know, it's a little bitty baby. Now they've got a fast-growing child. All right. Yeah, she's a little kid. I, it, it should be said that uh, the Arkansas Department of Health in the middle of this past week did issue a press release saying they would begin to give birth certificates to couples, same-sex couples, uh, who are married uh, with both of their names on birth certificates for their, their children. I just want to mention one other thing. I spoke with a 
law professor at the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville. And I asked her kind of, you know, does this settle the matter or are we going to see um, future even more kind of finely sliced cases coming before the U.S. Supreme Court? And she said she, she firmly expects more cases. What she actually said was, quote, I call it a backlash narrative. There's this narrative post-2015 where states opposed to same-sex marriage are pushing the limits to see how far Obergefell reaches. We're going to see all of the implications of marriage equality play out in the courts. This is just one of those implications. So lots going forward on this issue. Well, with that, we'll wrap up this week's Week in Review podcast. I'm Michael Hiplin. I'm Jacob Kaufman. I'm Chris Hickey. And I'm Bobby Ampazan with Arkansas Public Media. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, also like us on Facebook, or follow us on Twitter. KUAR is an editorially independent service of the University of Arkansas at Little Rock. I'm Uncle Hip Lynn. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.